0: So what I I really want to do is go back to the origins of communion and sacrifice and look at how how this great tradition started. Um, The first thing I'd like to show you, I was hoping that Paul and Sarah, who had little baby Arthur um, almost three weeks ago were going to be here, I thought we could welcome him. Um, Something you may not know about myself and Paul Turner, um, who's uh, not here this morning, Paul and I, are actually much cooler than you think we are. Because um, y- if you have to say that about yourself, you're not cool. Um, <laughs> but Paul and I were once in a band. Yeah, that's right. Um, we were huge um, in Pearlie, in the, in the Baptist church. Um, we had gigs, you know, at youth groups um, in Teddington. And then quite bizarrely, uh, this is honestly true, we had like a gig in Teddington. Where we it, it was like a residency for a week. Um, it was a kids' club. Um, <laughs> then we played at um, a girls' school, which you know, as a young guy, was amazing. Um, and then we flew to Japan and uh, did a bit of a tour there. Bit bizarre. Um, but here we are in this awful photo that you can't see. And um, oh, it's much better here. Um, so we we went to Japan and we we played a few um, at a few different kind of concert-y things, a few churches, a few schools. Um, and just before we left, on the last night, we were treated to um, what was a traditional, we were told, Japanese feast. And so you, you start and you have your raw kind of octopus and that stuff. And then you move on. And the, the food was really good. It, I mean, they started to cook it as you moved on through the meal. Um, but then afterwards, um, it concluded with a naked sauna, um, which we were, you know, mortified by. <laughs> um, and so, as soon as we finished dinner, we kind of ran for this thing before the translator could could join us and paul kind of he 's a smart guy and before, before we jumped in he he loosened the lamp, so we were in almost pitch dark. but then um, the the, um, the translator appeared, and he had this huge camera with an even bigger flash and so so, as he took these photos the the water just illuminated. Um, so w- uh, what we did, I, as you can see, I'm hiding. This is me. I'm, I'm smarter than the others. Um, uh, but we had these little sacks of rocks to, to hide our modesty. But that was in Japan. Another thing that happens in Japan, Paul, because, you know, he leads the band, he sings, so he has a lot of responsibility. And we, we played at this church. And after we played, um, there was this huge dinner that was put on for us. It, um, it was. yeah. It, I was going to say it was really good, but they had green tea jelly, and it just sport things. Um, and Paul, because he was the band leader, they said, Paul, could you um, lead us in, in a prayer? So Paul, Paul doesn't particularly like talking in front of lots of people anyway, but Paul kind of says, okay. And so he starts praying. And you know, you'll know, you know this, that in church, when you pray, people go, mm, mm, and occasionally they go, oh, amen, amen, mm, and it's lots of heavenly kind of grunting. Um, In Japan, the equivalent is, you go, amen, amen, like that. And this is honestly true. It was just brilliant. Paul says, uh, sure, and he's kind of thinking, I don't know what to pray. And he says, "Uh, dear Lord. um, And someone says, amen. And Paul went, amen. (laughs) Because he thought that was, he was like rounding it up. And then everyone was just like, "What, what are you doing? It was brilliant. My point is, but you need to know your context. You need to know your setting because it, it's really important. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to... I want to provide just a little bit of context for this, this feast that we share, this thing that we do regularly, monthly, um, communion. Now, occasionally we, we put pictures up of quite obscure people and we say, do you know who this is? And, of course, no one does because it's like... <laughs> You know, someone who died thousands of years ago and uh, a really bad carving. But this one, you should be able to guess. Does anyone know, or do you all know, who is in this picture? It's, again, it's quite dark. It is. It's Abraham and his son Isaac. So you may know the story. Abraham, um, who's the father of the Israelites. He's um, God made. Perhaps, the first, at least in scripture, the first covenant with Abraham, and then, and then we, we follow the story through. Um, but what's interesting is <laughs> having. So, so the story, I was reading it this morning, it goes on for ages. God says, I'm going to give you a son, and it doesn't happen. And Abraham and Sarah are getting older and older. And the story just goes on and on and on about how they're waiting for this son, hoping this son will come, this child will come. And eventually he does. They name him Isaac. And then he goes up and tries to kill him. And, he, and God sends an angel. And he says, no, what on earth are you doing? I have just given you this son. Don't kill him. It's absolutely bizarre behavior. Here's another story, um, which you may be able to recognize. There's a big boat in the background. Do you know who this is? Um, this is Noah. So just after Noah has got out of the ark, um, this, this is the story that's told in, um, in Genesis. So this is actually before, before um, Abraham. Um, just after Noah gets out of the ark, the first thing he does is start to sacrifice animals. And you do kind of have to think, the whole point of the ark was to save the animals. Again, what are you doing? And that's why we don't have unicorns. Sad but true story. Um, LAUGHTER but what's interesting about both of these things is that these guys live way before Moses. And it was to Moses that God said, I require a sacrifice. And it was to Moses that, he, that God gave his law. So how on earth did this guy, Noah, and others before him, how on earth did Abraham know to give a sacrifice? And in this story, it talks about clean and unclean birds and animals. Well, where's that come from? Because there's no law that tells us. Because Moses hasn't been given the law. Moses hasn't been told. So all of this sacrifice stuff exists before God taught the Israelites about it, which is interesting. Abraham, who we saw earlier um, in the previous picture, I just think this is the most bizarre act of it. I have a son who, who you saw earlier disrupting the service and there is I hope that I don't think this is heretical <laughs> there is nothing that, that there is absolutely nothing that God could say or do that would convince me to put a knife to Reuben there is nothing it's just everything I know of God says that's, that's not of me that's not of God so what on earth is Abraham doing? I think the reason why he does it is because he, he comes from a context. He, his father lived in Ur, and that's, what, that's where Abraham was called out of. Leave Ur, leave those pagan rituals, that polytheistic lifestyle, and come and follow me. That's what God says. This is, this is Dagon. Um, I, I was reading the, the news this morning, and um, uh, ISIS is in retreat, and, um, uh, and the army has just recaptured a museum which ISIS has completely destroyed. And so they in this news report, um, these guys were moving through the museum. And what used to be incredible carvings and statues of gods w- was just rubble. There was nothing left of it. And the reporter was picking things up and he was saying, so I'm told that this used to be a statue of a great god. And then he told you a little bit about that god. But it, um, this god, Dagon was one of the gods who would have been in that museum. And Dagon, um, he's, he's re- recorded in, in our scriptures as well, in Hebrew scriptures. He's the god who, um, who uh, th- they brought the ark into his temple and you, you might remember the, the huge statue of the god fell down at the, at the face of, or fell on its face before the ark of the covenant. That was Dagon. Dagon was the god of the temple who Samson um, smashed down with his mighty arms and no hair. You remember that story? Um, that was this temple. So, but this God required human sacrifice. So sacrifice is something that was, that was all across the ancient Near East. It was something that was done. That was the context out of which Abraham was being called. And it's the context in which um, communion actually has its its origins. So I tell you that because, because I think that communion, sharing blood, eating a body is a little bit strange. But it's because we come out of this context of, of we want to give a sacrifice. Um, this, these are, this is some of what we've just had read to us. If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all of the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine. And I'm going to bless you. So, uh, when, when um, Abraham was called out of uh, called to, to follow God, it's a little bit like if I said to you, hey, we're going to start a new church and it's going to be fantastic. And I've got this, this new way of doing things. If I didn't include singing, you'd all kind of go, hang on a minute, this isn't church. We need some singing. Come on, this is for God. Remember, God likes hymns you know we don't particularly but god does we better do it <laughs> and that's a bit like sacrifice i think because everyone did it it was a way of in a culture where you were farmers and your wealth was in your offspring and your your animals to offer the best to god to ratify any agreement with god it was to bring the very best and say, this is what I present before you, this is how seriously I take this and I'm so sorry that things haven't gone, you know, I've made mistakes and look, please take the best of what I have. That's, these are the origins of, uh, of this whole sacrificial system but it turns out that despite um, uh, these passages and despite the Levitical code, it seems that God didn't really like sacrifice it's a strange thing that it uh, that it uh, continues for a long time. This is, this is David writing this in Psalm 51. He says, you, not de- you don't delight in sacrifice. If you did, I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. So David knows this isn't what God wants, but there's a system. God is calling us to something else. Then Hosea says, for I desire mercy. This is God speaking in Hosea. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and I desire acknowledgement of God, of me, rather than burnt offerings. It's not burnt offerings that I want, it's not sacrifice, it's not the system, it's something else. And then Jesus quotes this. This is like, I think this is just one of his brilliant responses, because the Pharisees are giving him a hard time, and Jesus says to them, you know what you need to do? You need to go and think about this. What does it mean when it says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice? And that's like Jesus dropping the bomb. It's like, oh, what's your return? <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it re- we require an absolute revolution when it comes to thinking about sacrifice. And so the place that we find ourselves, I, I have prepared a, um, a, um, a reflection, which I want to read to you. And the reflection starts, um, it's set Um, the first anniversary of the Last Supper. Um, So the context is that that they have the old covenant. The old covenant was the agreement that God gave Moses. Covenant is an agreement. So they have an agreement. They have a covenant. They know what it's about to follow God. We keep falling short, but if we make sacrifices, if we atone for the things we do wrong, then we can be put right with God. That's the context. They have a story. And it's into that context that um, that, uh, Jesus uh, delivers the first communion. So that's what I'm going to read to you. I'm going to invite the band up just as a little plinky-plonky in the background. Before we do that, any questions on this? I don't want to kind of confused anyone what's ahead of us what does God well the answer of that is is in communion that's exactly what communion's about because there's nothing that we can bring to God we are broken by the law because the law points out how fallen we are. So here's the reflection. You can um, close your eyes. You can go for a wander if you want. Um, but uh, yeah, here, here, are, here is this reflection. I can't believe that a year has passed. Things have been intensifying. The crowds had gotten larger and more vocal in both their appreciation and hostility. It was never the violence or the anger that scared me. It was the stoic shadows who silently listened to Jesus' words before melting away. We knew they were following us. They'd appear without invitation and at every occasion. But why, we didn't know. That night, the night Jesus was taken, was strangely still almost as though the air itself was holding its breath, waiting for something to happen. I I don't know, Perhaps, perhaps I'm remembering yesterday's future. Muffled chatter escaped in rays of glowing light from beneath every door and every open window. The smell of roast lamb, herbs and matzah, that's unleavened bread, overpowered that of the burnt flour, yeast and bread, the ashes of which occasionally course in the gentle breeze and floated ghost-like down the deserted streets. We were in a guest room, and Jesus had just washed our feet, adding to the strange tension. There's a way that things are done, and humbled though we were, it is not for a rabbi to clean the feet, the dirty feet of his disciples, especially at Passover. People always become more particular and pious during festivals. Passover is when we remember the right way, the law that was given to us, to Moses. So when Jesus washed our feet, it was like he was picking at the seams of tradition and hierarchy. And that made me feel uneasy. Now you should know something about Passover. It's a celebration. There's singing, feasting, and laughter, but it's always taken seriously. It's not just a week of festivities. It's our identity, it's our story, and it's our hope. It's the moment each year when we come back to our foundation, when we remember that agreement, that covenant that we have with God. And it goes back to the time of Moses, who God passed his law to, saying, if we listen to his way, and if we obey his commands, he will walk with us. We, the Israelite people, were chosen to have a special relationship, to share that blessing with all nations on earth. It's not quite the way things have panned out. So that night, as we do every Passover... We shared the famous stories of this city, Jerusalem, the city of David. And we remembered the Exodus when the entire nation of Israel was led out of Egypt and away from captivity. The story goes that our ancestors painted lamb's blood on their door frames as a way of marking them for protection. As night fell, God moved through the Egyptian city and killed the firstborn. In every unmarked home. That night, there was a great wailing, but tragedy passed over the Israelite quarter, which remained silent. That began the charge out of Egypt, and after a few navigational issues into the Promised Land, that was the first Passover. I know, it's weird, but that's the story we remember and we still sprinkle our doors with blood. We do it in remembrance, and we do it in hope that the same might happen again. As I said, we are God's chosen people, not Roman subjects. Who are the Romans to govern over us? I still struggle with some of those old stories. They all seem so distant in so many ways. It's been 1500 years since Yahweh led Moses and the nation out of Egypt with fire. Where is he now? That said, it felt like things were leading somewhere with Jesus. It felt like tectonic plates were moving beneath our feet. Things were coming to a head. But I'm digressing from my story. The atmosphere continued to be odd. And there was a palpable tension. I remember Judas was fidgeting. He was up and down all night. The wine was good. It always was when Jesus was in charge of drinks. I swear he had a secret supply. We were sharing stories of the Exodus and imagining what it must have been like to live at such a time. Then Jesus interrupted. He took some matzah, some of the unleavened bread, and he gave thanks. He broke it and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'll be honest. I had no idea what he was talking about. Was he suggesting that Passover, the the festival for remembering the covenant, should be reappropriated as an opportunity to remember him? I didn't know what to make of it. But it was after dinner that he dropped the real clangor. He took his cup of wine, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Simon half inhaled his his drink and broke into a coughing fit. The rest of us fell completely silent. Since Jesus had been receiving a bit more scrutiny and interest, we'd been acutely sensitive of anything that could be misinterpreted or lead, or land us in hot water. Things like rewriting the identity of a whole nation, and putting himself front and center. We occasionally acted like his PR team, mopping up and preventing controversy. What he meant to say was, this is my cup of wine, which resembles the blood marked on the door. Whenever you drink it, remember as new the covenant that we have with God. But that's not what he said. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out, for you. you must have heard what happened next. Jesus was arrested, tried, and crucified. We were all terrified. We had seen him do the miraculous, and we were still half hoping that he might yet be the Messiah, bringing a new covenant, leading us out with a tower of fire to reclaim what was promised to our ancestors. But it didn't happen that way. But Jesus' death did shake the earth, and I can say now with all certainty that surely he was the Son of God. Had Thomas not touched his wounds, there may have been room for doubt, but not now. Jesus was raised from the tomb by the power of the one who is beyond yet intrinsic to everything we know. And his life rewrote the story, not of just one nation, but the whole earth and all history. Now I understand the new covenant. The old covenant, the law of Moses, was our best attempt of pleasing God. We always did and we always will fall short of his ideal, and no amount of sacrificial meat will atone for that. Nothing can. But the new covenant, what Jesus held in his cup, is freedom not worry for God came to us Jesus turned the system upside down he washed our feet his love made us clean that's the new covenant the old covenant demanded sacrifice but Jesus demands mercy so tonight as we break bread it shall be baked with yeast self-raising because nothing else would be appropriate we shall share the wine and remember Jesus the Son of God whose covenant to us is grace and truth his death was like the final sacrifice when Jesus broke the bread and shared the wine he wrote a new chapter that gave context to all history there is a God quite different to how we'd imagined he is good And he delights in his creation. The new covenant, ratified and verified in Jesus' blood, is love. And that is what we must realize in our own lives, claim for our neighbors, and share as a blessing to every nation. It is no mistake that the new covenant was administered in a cup of wine. So as you eat this bread and share this, this drink remember Jesus, remember the new covenant. There is no sacrifice that you must bring. There is no blood on our door. Here you will find grace and truth, mercy and humility. The only requirement is that you know that Jesus poured a glass for you. So I invite you to drink at this table, to share this covenant. God is love. The band are going to play a bit, but I invite you to think about that, reflect on that. This covenant that Jesus shared rewrote history, and it rewrote it in a way that said, there is nothing you can bring to ratify yourself to God. But God comes to us, cleans our feet. He died for us. He lived for us. And that's what we celebrate. So as the band play, reflect on that and in your own time, come and share communion.